My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Meg Crane. When Meg Crane was younger, she was someone who cared a lot about the suffering in the world, but she felt powerless to do anything about it. Then, at a pivotal moment in her teens, she realized that you didn't need to be someone richer or someone older or someone more important to take action. You, whoever you happen to be, could act, could make a difference in people's lives. Also in her teen years, Crane read a lot of feminist publications, but none of them were quite what she wanted. Many of them came from the United States, and she also found many of them pretty depressing. What she really wanted was a publication local enough to touch on the issues most relevant to her, and one that took a more uplifting kind of tone. In 2011, she started in the Creative Communications program at Red River College in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and in the second year of that program, part of the curriculum was to do a major independent project. She realized that this was her opportunity to create the Canadian feminist publication that she felt was lacking. She called it Cockroach Zine. All along, Cockroach Zine has been not just feminist, but, reflecting Crane's passion for environmental issues as well as feminist issues, it has been eco-feminist. For Crane, an important element of feminism is the idea of justice for all people and the importance of a sort of caring for all people. Similarly, her environmentalism is about extending justice and care to the rest of the planet, so the two naturally blend together in her understanding of the world. Crane enjoyed the process of making that first issue, and it felt useful and empowering. Four and a half years later, and she hasn't stopped. It comes out six times a year and publishes submissions from people across Canada. She circulates it in on-the-ground ways, mostly in Winnipeg, but she has slowly been building up a subscription base among feminists, not just across Canada, but also in the U.S. At the beginning, it had more of a journalistic focus, but now much of what you can find in Cockroach Scene is things like personal essays about important feminist and environmental issues, related creative content like art and poetry, and also guides for do-it-yourself making of things like food and crafts. Integrated into its core eco-feminist commitment, Crane takes an approach to the zine that tries to be intersectional and sex-positive. She works to ensure that the voices and issues of concern to queer, trans, and racialized people are present. Crane talks with me about the trajectory of Cockroach Scene, the work of publishing it, and the politics informing it. We spoke by Skype to phone from Winnipeg. I am May Crane. I'm a freelance writer and editor in Winnipeg, and I've been running Cockroach Scene for about four and a half years. So it's an eco-feminist scene that's based out of Winnipeg but it tries to involve people across Canada. So people will send in content surrounding a specific theme who will also work on big crafting projects together. So making valentines for people in women's shelters across the country or animal toys for pet rescues. When I was younger, I cared a lot about people 
and animals who are suffering, but I didn't feel like I had the power to actually do anything to create any change. I thought it was something that got of my power and I'd be older and have more money and more time to do anything. And then as a teenager, I kind of realized that I didn't. It's something as simple as, you know, volunteering or making somebody a card saying someone cares about them can really make a difference in the world. So when I started Cockroach, a big part of that was trying to show people, including children and people who are low income, that they can make a difference. So as a teenager, I read a lot of feminist magazines, but everything I was reading was either based in the state, so I didn't feel it was very relevant to me, or it was just really depressing. And I, I always kind of dreamed of creating my own feminist publication that was really fun and inspiring and uplifting and based in Canada. So in 2011, I went to the Creative Communications Program at Red River College. And in our second year, we had to do this huge project on our own and we can pretty much do anything we want. So I decided to finally create the publication that I felt was missing in Canada. And I just had so much fun doing that in my second year of college, but I decided to keep it going. That was quite a few years ago now, and it just keeps growing. Tell me more about the politics that inform your work on Cockroach Zine. It's an eco-feminist zine, so in everything that I do, we try to make sure that it is environmentally sustainable. So while we are printing physical copies, we try to use eco-friendly paper. I do most of the binding and everything myself at home. We just do black and white ink. The envelopes that are used are all actually made out of recycled material. So I hand make all the envelopes using old wallpaper or samples that would have otherwise been thrown out. And then it's also a feminist publication. So we're looking at all sorts of feminist issues. It's like an intersectional feminist publication, so we're looking at issues of race and ability and all that kind of stuff. I put a lot of effort into trying to reach all kinds of different people. So we have writers who are trans, who are asexual, people who are writing about growing up from different religious backgrounds. Um, Yeah. And tell me more about the name. Well, I was trying to find something that was a little unique and that no other publication had. And I've always had an interest in bugs. So I was kind of thinking about a bug. And then I thought, well, you know, people always said that if there was a nuclear war, cockroaches would be the only thing that would survive. And that was kind of funny. You know, no matter what happens, I think feminists and environmentalists are always around. And we're always going to be around. And people don't necessarily like us all the time like cockroaches, but we'll always be here. So I thought that was was kind of a fitting name and kind of funny. Walk listeners through a typical production cycle for Cockroach Scene. So I'll send out a call for submission. And for about a month, I'll work with writers and artists on coming up with a concept, actually creating the content, doing some light editing, and just making sure that their work is being represented in the way they want it to be represented, but it's also something that Cockroach would want to publish. So that takes about a month, two months, and then everything is sent in to me, and I do all the layout, which ideally would just take a couple of days, but there's usually 
a lot of scrambling to find some extra content. If I'm like a couple pages short or something, then find find some more artwork and go through editing everything a few more final times. And then I usually rush it to the print shop a couple of days before it's supposed to be on shelves and in the mail. And I bring home a huge stack of paper and spend about a full day finding everything. And sometimes we'll put a little something extra in them. So like maybe I'll like color one page or I'll put some glitter on it. Just like something kind of fun that makes every single meme different than every other one. And then I will put them on the envelopes. And I usually try to find some really fun things to put in there too, like some comics or other museums or something that will fit in. And then it all goes in the mail. So that takes about three months. And the cycle from issue to issue overlaps quite a bit because it comes out every two months. So I'm usually working on two issues at a time. What kinds of things do you do to solicit content for the zine? Right now, I actually have a pretty long list of contributors. Over the past few years, I've gathered that from, well, I, I worked for a lot of magazines. When I find a writer over there, but like for Costco, check invite them to come and do some work for me over here. Also, I do a lot of events and do some tabling at craft sales and things. So I'll usually have a sign-up sheet there. And once in a while, I'll throw something up on social media, on Facebook or something asking for contributors just to get some new voices. But right now, it's mostly just sending emails to the people who have already been contributing. I do have a lot of people also who kind of pick it up somewhere and see it and contact me to ask if they can contribute. So I don't need to put too much work anymore into actually finding people, which is really nice. And you mentioned doing events as part of your work on the zine. What kind of events? All sorts. So I've had open mics. I've had a lot of craft parties. Last year for Genderfest in Winnipeg, I did what I called a sparkle party. So we all went to wheelies and wore really sparkly, fun costumes and just skated around and did some crafts and ate pizza. I've had a few dance parties. And then I've also started organizing the Winnipeg Vegan Handmade Market, which was supposed to be an annual event. But it went really well, so we're now doing it twice a year. Sketch out the range of content that appears in Cockroach Zine. The last issue was actually really fun. I had somebody send in some poetry, and there were a few like personal essays about some really tough topics. So dealing with feeling suicidal, with being sexually assaulted, with having anxiety. But then there are also some people who did some lighter, more fun pieces, like a crafting how-to. And I have some comics coming in. There's that Pun23, who is based out of Burnaby, British Columbia. And she sends in a little comic strip every issue, which is super fun. And along with your roles of editing and producing the zine, do you also write some of the content? It depends a little bit. I like to do as little writing as possible just so that other people's voices can be in there since I'm the one creating the content. But say, for example, I have like 27 pages worth of content and there's one more page and nobody else wants to write something. I'll quickly whip something up and slip it in there. I've been doing less of that. The last year one that I enjoyed doing was a little like how to take care of plants indoors piece. I've written a bit about struggling with my anxiety disorder. Mostly I'd fill in with the recipes and the crafts. 
some people aren't doing that. So my thought is you a little bit more life advice when I'm doing fill-ins. So if somebody is writing about struggling with getting over the trauma of being sexually assaulted, I'll write a little sidebar of some sort telling people what they can do to support victims. So I try to do more pieces like that 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 show people what they can actually do to make the world a better place. Tell me more about the details of the actual production of the zine. So first of all, it's just getting all the content ready to go in, so the editing back and forth and the reformatting all the images so it's the right size. And I do also layout actually in in design. So I'm doing it all on my computer. So it's not exactly like the traditional zine format in that way. When I first start doing the layout, I'll sit down and decide how many pages I want to give to each piece. And then I add up all those numbers and round it up to the next set of four. So I never want to be cutting back any content. I want to make sure it's getting, you know, the maximum number of pages that it can. And then I just go into InDesign and start popping everything in there. I used to do kind of a test run. I just print out one or two copies and take a look through and make sure everything was perfect and all that. But I kind of thought that would be like a little bit of waste of time and paper. Usually it's just these really minor, minor things that I'm editing. So I skip that step now and just go straight to printing. So once I have everything to go into the zine, it's usually pretty quick. You have a few setbacks when I realize like, oh, I can put an extra image in here, right? And I'm like rushing to one of my artists to beg them to last minute put something together for me. And how does distribution happen? Right now, it is only in a few shops in Winnipeg and then one over in Calgary. And the rest I mail out. So you can buy a subscription from the Etsy shop or just buy an individual issue from the Etsy shop or on the website. I also do a lot of craft shows and sometimes we'll travel to other cities with it. So when I'm in another city, I'll sell it to people wherever I'm running the event. For the most part, it is in Winnipeg, but it's getting more of a following over in BC and a little bit in Alberta. I have had people from all over Canada order individual issues and I've had a few people in the state buy subscriptions. It's definitely focused in Winnipeg right now, though. Given that the biggest base for cockroach zine is Winnipeg, tell me about the feminist community in the city. I think the feminist community in Winnipeg is pretty interesting. It's it's very diverse, it's very large, and it's very strong considering what a small city we are. We have a lot of different groups who are doing a lot of different things, and not everybody necessarily agrees with one another's feminism, but they still support one another, which is really great to see. We have the folks who are organizing the spot walk, and then we have folks who are organizing the Take Back the Night. We have Tupac, the Queer People of Color group. They're a really strong group. They do a lot of great activism, but they also do a lot of really fun things just to bring the community together and keep people going strong. At both of the universities, we have women centers, which are very active. We have a really great community here, for sure. How is your commitment to intersectionality reflected in the content of the zine? I try to make sure that every issue has a variety of voices in there. So if I find that for one issue, there's a lot of like 
straight white cis people have been writing, I'll try to poke a few of the writers who come from a different background and maybe suggest some topics that they can write. And I try to make sure that there's also a variety of content about all of those different people so the writers can see where different people are coming from, if that makes sense. When I first started doing Crossroads, as someone who is this white, I found that was a majority of the people who were gravitating towards Cockroach and who were asking to write. So I started contacting LGBT and trans groups and people of color groups and seeing if I could get some contributors from those communities, and I did, which was really great. Tell me more about the importance of the medium. Why is it important to you that this be a print publication? I really love the idea of having something physical to give to people. It's something that I touch every single copy myself. I really like that idea that I can touch something that I can choose, you know, which color staples are going to go on the side, where I'm going to write a little note to whoever in the world is getting this copy and then send it straight to their door. There's something really special about that, and it makes me feel a lot more connected to the readers, especially since a lot of them are so far away. Like, I have a contributor up in the Paw in Manitoba, which is kind of a remote community here. And, you know, shooting her a couple of emails, it feels very impersonal, but when I can actually send her a physical copy of the work that her and I have gotten together and put something together, and I think that's really special. And it makes the feminist community in Canada feel a lot more connected to me when it's so easy and quick to send them something physical in the mail, you know? And how have you found people's response to and uptake of print? People seem to really like it because they can come see me at an event and talk to me about it and then leave with something in their hand rather than a piece of paper, you know, with a website written down or something in their phone that they're likely going to forget about. What I really like about being too is, I mean, you can be sitting on the bus and your phone dies, right? And you have nothing to do anymore. But if you've got a being tucked in your purse or your pocket, you know, whatever, you don't really need to rely on anything. It's very accessible to everybody. There are also a lot of people who do pick up the scene who don't have access to a computer, who they don't have a phone. So they talk to me and they say, oh, this is cool. I'd love to check it out. But, you know, I can't. And I can just hand them a copy. And I think that's really great. I've definitely had a good response to having the physical copies. And I think for a lot of people, they have kind of the same feeling as me, that it's really nice to have something that someone else has touched and personalized just for them. And a lot of the issues, too, I've started to try to make more interactive. So the last cover was a coloring book. So someone had drawn these gorgeous flowers that hadn't done any coloring or shading. So I saw people who picked up the coffee sitting there with pencil crayons coloring it themselves. And that was really neat. What other publications have you been inspired by? I think Culture Slot was probably the first one. I think she's based out of Montreal, and I really loved her drive to continue to put out this theme, and that was definitely a big inspiration for me. Broken Pencil, it's a magazine. I love flipping through it and seeing how many zines there are out there and all the different kinds of things they're doing. I think it's super cool. There's Call My Name, which is out of Germany, and that's really fun. 
it's just one woman who puts that together, but she kind of just laughs whatever she feels like putting in there. So she's got recipes and personal notes and lists, and that's a lot of fun for sure. And what feminist writers and thinkers and activists have inspired you? Jessica Valenti, for sure. Zemina Tuso. And, hmm. I think for me, I find more inspiration from the feminists who maybe aren't so well-known. So on the ground here in Winnipeg, we have Christina Hajar. She's a very powerful young woman. Not a lot of people would know her name, but she is just, she is always calling people out on their bullshit and working so hard. And she gets almost no recognition. I think those are the people who inspire me the most, who don't necessarily have a huge audience, but they are making a really big impact, even if they don't really know it. What's your sense of the ways in which the particular politics embodied in Cockroach Zine are similar to and perhaps somewhat different from the feminist politics and priorities embraced by older generations of feminists in Winnipeg or elsewhere? I think the main thing about Crossroads is that it's a little bit more subtle, maybe, in is feminism. So I suppose when you're, when you're looking at maybe the first and second wave of feminism and a lot of their writing, it's very aggressive, it's very angry, it's very much focusing on what needs to change, and that was definitely what was needed at the time. But what's different in concerts is that everything is visited in a more positive light. So in my best example would be the most recent piece about a young woman who was sexually assaulted. It was a very awful story, and it was a terrible experience for her, but the way in which she wrote it was more about how she was using that experience as a way to empower herself, to educate herself, to start fighting harder for change, and she was telling other people the things they could do. So it's just more the way that people are using their voices in cockroach is a little bit different. It's focused on some different issues as well. It's very sex-positive, so we write a lot about sex, we talk a lot about sex, and probably in a very different way than past generations of feminists have done so, and I have noticed that some older feminists aren't a huge fan of cockroach, probably, a huge part for that reason. How has cockroach zine changed over the years that you've been making it? So when I first started, I was actually a journalism student, and I wanted it to have more of a newsy focus. I was trying to avoid having many personal essays. I wanted everybody to do interviews and have everything like very heavily sourced. And I was trying to avoid poetry and too much artwork that wasn't specifically related to an article. But people started handing in these personal essays that were just so powerful. I couldn't edit them the first time I read them. I needed to read through a couple of times. And sometimes I cried and it was so touching. And I realized that that's the kind of stuff that I wanted to be publishing. It was these very personal, moving stories. And so I've, I've moved away from doing the journalism pieces. And everything is still sourced. And I make sure that all the facts are accurate and whatnot. But it's a completely different kind of content now. Why do you feel that art and other kinds of creative content are an important part of Cockroach. I think when I started this, I didn't really appreciate how much 
an image can say for itself. And then I got some really strong artists who are very interested in submitting things to Cockroach. And as these things started coming and I was trying to fit them with articles, I realized that they kind of told a story on their own, that they deserve to have a full page just dedicated to themselves. As much as a thousand word story can teach you something, so can a beautiful image. And so I've definitely put a lot more emphasis on making sure there's space for that in Cockroach. A few times in the interview, you've referred to the significance for you of content in Cockroach being positive or uplifting. Talk about what you mean by that and why it matters. When I first became interested in feminism, I actually came really depressed. Everything I was reading was just so upsetting and there were no solutions offered. I didn't know what to do and it was really upsetting. And I don't want other people to feel that way. I want cockroach to be somewhere where people can come and, you know, be upset and know that we need to work hard, but also be optimistic and see that there is change in the future and there is something we can do and that we have power to make that change. I think it's also helpful for the writers sometimes, at least I find for myself, there'll be a topic that I really want to write about. So, for example, there were a lot of reserves in Manitoba, there's no clean drinking water, and that's just awful. That's not okay, and I wanted to write about that, but I challenged myself to try to make it a little bit more positive. And I found that really helpful for myself, because this is something I was really angry about. And instead of being angry by the time I was finished the piece, I was motivated. And I think that some other writers find that as well when I push them to look for a way to show people what they can do. So I wrote a short blurb about what the situation was and why it was not okay, but then most of the piece was just a huge list of all the things that we need to do to make change. So educate ourselves and make noise and write to politicians and, you know, offer our support to these communities, let them know that we're thinking about them. So for people who are inspired by your work on Cockroach Scene, What kind of advice would you give them if they wanted to get involved in do-it-yourself media making? Just get started now. When I started with Cockroach, it was very different from what it is now. And even with every issue, something changes based on something I've learned, some feedback I've gotten from somebody. And if I hadn't just started this four and a half years ago, I mean, I'd probably still be thinking about doing it. But when I started, it wouldn't be where it is now. I think no matter what your skill set is, you have the ability to create your own content, whether that's a zine that you put together with like a pen and a photocopier or, you know, a full magazine. And what kinds of suggestions would you give potential contributors to Cockroach Scene? I've actually started putting a lot of the content up on the website, so cockroachscene.com. So you can kind of see what sort of stuff is published there. But the biggest thing is think about what kind of pieces you would like to read that you're not seeing anywhere else. And that's probably something that I would be interested in publishing. You have been listening to my interview with Meg Crane, the publisher of Cockroach Zine, an eco-feminist publication based in Winnipeg. To learn more about it, go to cockroachzine.com. That's cockroachzine.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.